should. I was thinking, it's so quiet now, you know. It was sort of like taking a soda bottle and shaking it up and having it burst a little bit, you know. So uh, we come back, and that's the whole practice of coming back. And uh, just uh, giving ourselves permission, sometimes that effervescence is a little hard on the body or... Uh, there's a little bit of head um, palpitations or throbbings or whatever. Uh, it's just the way it works, you know. So I thought tonight, at the sense, this might be a, a good little place for this. Is one of uh, this is from uh, Tofu Roshi. He's sort of the dear Abbey, and I thought you know it's a good place to kind of start where we're not. So. <laughs> Dear Tofu Roshi, I understand that the basic part of your teachings is to forget the self. But I'm a psychotherapist, and the self is very the very thing that I work, work with, sigh by sigh, tear by tear, fist by fist, and dream by dream. My clients rebuild their self, and then come, and then you come up, creeping behind them, and whack! You hit them on the back with a stick, and the fragile structure topples to the ground in a heap. Five heaps, I am told. (laughs) How do you reconcile this apparent contradiction between spiritual development and psychological health? Do you think we are working against each other? Dear Jane, you're right. We cannot forget the self until we have a strong self to forget. The work you do, therefore, prepares a person for the work I do, and for this I am grateful to you, (laughs) wherever you are. You need the dough. I bake it in the oven. That is why, at our practice place, every new member must have a certification of mental health before being allowed to join. But even this is not always sufficient. For example, one of our members who forgot the self during a long sashin was com- completely unable to recall it, the self that is, when the sashin was over. Luckily, we knew his name and address and were able to send him home in a taxi. <laughs> he, may, he remained confused for some time, believing Bodhidharma to be the president of the United States. <laughs> Another student who had a deep experience of no-self or anatta during retreat. And when at the end, she returned to the self. It was the self, all right, but it was the self of someone else. (laughs) When she asked her final question, who am I? And who asks who am I? She apparently noticed the name Dan Dan Flanagan embroidered on a zabutan in which she sat. She unsuccessfully tried to enter his bag of skin, his house, his truck, but he, of course, was already there, and there was not sufficient room for both of them, at least not in the bag of skin, nor did he particularly want her in his house or truck. (laughs) Only through concentrated effort and further zazen was she able to forget Dan Flanagan's self and subsequently re-enter her own. Since that time, we require everyone to wear tags around their neck in the zendo (laughs) with their name, address, occupation, pet peeve, and the name of the President of the United States. (laughs) In some cases, the last two items are the same. (laughs) Thus, our students can transcend the self during meditation in confidence that the answer to the question, who asks, who am I, and who asks, who asks, who asks, who am I, is within easy reach. So. Endings.
endings. Did you say it was over? You mean I'm kicked out back to the world I so carefully crafted? How could this be? I just got here. You must have a plan, all this work, just to get so sensitive. It was raining and dark, both inside and outside, when I arrived, sitting quietly again and again. And so the clouds on the inside began to thin day by day. You knew you came to give up some of the old and frightened parts. Remembering some faith, the sun having been there all along, waiting, waiting patiently day after day. Remembering some faith, the sun having been there all along, waiting, waiting patiently day after day. For you to breathe into your heart once again, standing firm, knowing for sure that the winds of change demanding everything, only to pull you back into the complex of your life. Maybe this time, maybe this time, pausing a little longer, listening, listening to something below the chatter, heart a little more at ease, One sings one song. Mercy, mercy. So tonight when I was thinking about uh, what it was that might um, be important, we've said so many things here. And uh, the teachings have been um, uh, really in a spiral. You know, that spiral of, a, of this uh, liberative, dependent origination uh, as kind of a map. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, I was trying to think of it in a simpler terms. So uh, I really said, okay, there's three things that uh, might work here. And uh, they were simply uh, what was needed, you know. And one was ease, and another was trust, and another heart. You know? So I thought about well, how 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 do you frame ease and trust and heart? And I thought, oh, this is uh, really what this path is. It's this Buddha uh, that's really that ease, or I also uh, assigned this word seed, that somehow uh, when the clouds part, uh, that we began to allow uh, that seed, that Buddha, that ease uh, to be known. You know, and when somewhat it's known, then there is this capacity, uh, this capacity to trust. To trust what? This dharma. Uh, and I thought, well, if there's seed, then there has to be earth. Because you need uh, something to hold it. You know, what to hold the dharma here? Earth. And if there is that seed and there is the earth and there is this Buddha Dharma, uh, this ease and trust, uh, then there is uh, what's happening here. And it has been really the uh, water, the sangha, uh, the heart itself uh, finding uh, its way. I was reflecting on a little early. I was thinking, oh, story. Oh, got to do story, you know. It's uh, part of 
how we know and remember things. And I was thinking of um, my first uh, Vipassana retreat I sat in India was uh, six weeks. And I have to give you kind of an overview of this. Is uh, I started in uh, when I was in Berkeley, there was a group called the Tibetan Floating Lotus Magic Opera Company. <laughs> right. And there was a great uh, yoga teacher, Surya, who was my uh, yoga teacher. And uh, he had been to a place called India. This was in the 60s. And so this was like a big deal, you know. He's like, oh, wow. Uh, and how do you get there? You know. And so uh, we had these great discussions about what is all this about kind of letting go. And, and if we really let go, then what, where is, what's going to hold us? You know, where could I go where uh, it seems so complicated that it could be a little simpler? So uh, the truth was uh, he had been in India and he had uh, been a sadhu in India with uh, a um, Western yogi whose original name was Michael Riggs uh, from uh, L.A., surfer, tall surfer dude. Um, and uh, so I went, I went to, and so I went overland. I did the whole thing, you know, just as it was all put out in the uh, great scriptures about pilgrimages where you, you know, you, um, you know, get there any way you can and that a lot of things drop away on the way. And uh, I got there and I got this uh, house in Kathmandu. And uh, who's to show up at my door but uh, this... A tall uh, Westerner, a blonde Westerner, uh, with matted hair, and um, uh, uh, just a kind of regal-looking Rasta uh, kind of looking fellow named Bhagavan Das. And so uh, he came to live at my house and uh, would sing and play his music and and. Um, and then he began to teach me the ways, uh, the ways of, uh, you know, when you let go of everything, uh, what does it feel like? You know, what does it look like? So first, of course, I had to take on all the bangs and beads and, and uh, you know, uh, the dung hair, the dung and the sap and the hair and, um, you know... Uh, you know how to how to put a how to wear a skirt properly you know <laughs> you know and um i look very professional And so it took me a couple years to, uh, to um, recognize that there was uh, something much simpler that was probably going on, you know. And you didn't have to go so native, you know, the water wasn't exactly perfect. And, uh, you know, you, if you wanted to eat on the trains, you, you really, you had to learn some hard lessons, which I did, you know. And so... Um, I was, after a couple of years, I was uh, in Bodhgaya, India, and I uh, sat my first uh, Vipassana retreat. I had um, I was ready to untangle. And I really, I just honor you so much for this whole uh, willingness to uh, actually stop and kind of sit in your own stew and uh, allow that actually that uh, the clarity uh, to it was there all the time you know it was always there but it seems to take this tremendous amount of effort uh, sort of like the Wizard of Oz, you know, you have to get around behind the curtain and 
find out who's pulling the strings there, you know, and if it's a big deal about the strings or not. But the strings are a big deal. You know, who's pulling it? Well, that's a big question. You know, but it was great to sit. And you know, the first ten days, I I didn't hear the instructions properly. You know, and I, I really thought I was just supposed to sit. And um, all I did was just go back through my life. You know, the first ten days of the practice was just trying to get some kind of chronological order of who I was, uh, possibly who I wasn't. You know, uh, going right. As, I would go back as far as I could each time. You know, and I'd have these walls that would stop me. You know, uh, that took me years to. Uh, to be able to have the, the, um, the, it's about something about courage, something about not wanting to see sometimes, um, when we have difficulties, you know, and we're young, we, create these personalities, these selves, uh, that aren't necessarily helpful, you know. And so there has to be this untangling that goes on in that. So I sat, I just went back over and over again, you know. It was really... In a way... uh, even though it wasn't the instructions, it allowed, in some ways, to put things into order. You know, and there's a lot to say for uh, kind of putting it in order in some way. That this is there is a truth about that. And then once there was some order there, then I actually started listening to, oh, actually, actually there's a practice here that I can do, you know. And uh, it was a remarkable uh, time for me. And, and, um, and like all things, it had to come to an end, you know. And one of the beauties of that ending of that was I had the, it was really, a, a, you know, and this is just story, story, was the privilege uh, that at that retreat, the last part of the uh, retreat, uh, my, um, really, he was uh, uh, really a mentor in so many ways, and, and it was Ram Das, uh, who was bringing a, his book, uh, Be Here Now, uh, sort of back to India. And uh, so I had the privilege to actually, when this retreat was over, to be invited to get on this bus. You know. And this uh, bus was, uh, it was really kind of, you know, I don't know, we've been talking about how the path itself is so clear and straight. Okay? It is just phenomenally, in the sense it it uh, is here to uh, break this delusion of of uh, these self creations on some level. All this world we make up, but there's also something else going on here. Maybe it's just for me what India was was suspending any belief system. So I got on this bus and uh, I sat up front with. It was a great group of people. Uh, you know, uh, there was Daniel Goldman, who uh, uh, was a great, uh, has been a great sort of scientific investigator of this practice in many ways. And, uh, the, and then uh, the kind of the hippie in the back with his guitar uh, was Krishna Das, who has become a, quite a great singer. Uh, there was Mirabai, Mirabai Bush, who was someone who really uh, took her experience and uh, uh, tried to uh, uh, bring it to community in the world. You know. 
So it was a really interesting group of people. But we got on this bus and we started traveling across India. And in that process, uh, we came across uh, in a crossroad. And out of nowhere, this man, old man in a blanket, steps out and uh, appears in the in this kind of dusty road in the middle of this uh, sort of village area was Neem Karoli Baba, you know. And he just appeared out of nowhere, you know. And it was uh, really a, a moment for Ram Dass and everybody's sort of like, What's, what is going on here, you know? And um, in that process, there was also the sense of, um, what do we know, you know? We're all kind of coming on this We've been on this journey together, you know, and we're going back and, and you saw yourself reconstructed on some level, uh, that uh, voice that you, um, you know, uh, inhabit and kind of know and that, in a sense, one part longing for connection and another part that says, you know, I just want to go back and sit, you know, and that those two parts of ourselves, you know. Before I tell this next piece, I, I want to complete something from the last. I love to circle, so I'm going to circle here because it's really um, a piece that when I told you, uh, I don't when, whenever that was, uh, time uh, that I, I went to the, um, the cancer center to give my blood and I uh, actually found out in the middle of the week that uh, I'm fine, I'm clean, you know, which is really a wonderful, um, you know, gives me, you know, sort of another leaner view on things. But there was also something that was uh, very profound because it was great because uh, Mary Grace said, oh, you know, uh, and um, Heather said, you know, someone go with you, you know, and I, I've always seemed to had someone go with me and I this time I went alone I went you know I'm John I'm tough I have you know traveled the world and been around it so many times it's you know I can't remember and uh, I've walked every you know pathway and byway and highway and um, uh, it was actually a big deal to go there and uh, just in the sense of uh, recognizing the this thing about uh, vulnerability, you know, the kind of the intimacy that uh, we've created within ourselves here that now is, uh, in a sense, being uh, shifted on some level, you know. And it was interesting because as I left and I realized I had sort of shored up so that I could kind of do this by myself, you know, and uh, I got to the uh, where my car was parked in the parking lot, and I went and I kind of paid my money to get my ticket to get out of the kind of UCSF parking lot there, and and um, I went over and uh, pushed the button, and uh, this woman and her husband came up, and she suddenly kind of turned white and started vomiting into the uh, into the trash barrel there and her husband was there and so I just let the elevator go and, and I just stood there and then um, very, it was a, one of these moments where uh, she was very you know just very contained and her husband they were just just people you know um, but I stopped and I waited and then when she was kind of finished then uh I opened the elevator again, and and she went inside, and and you know I turned to her, and she looked right at me, and I said, I know. You know. And there was a little moment there. Where I knew. That anything that we can touch here. Uh, you know, uh, people are touched, you know, and she totally got it, you know. It was like that little moment of, oh. 
this is being human. You know, this is our lot. This is the truth, you know. So I had the privilege of being in the room. I mean, this is a big deal with Neem Karoli Baba and Ram Das and um, one of the uh, translated men um, that was there. And Ram Das uh, is on the floor and he's like, really, oh, like, you know, look what I've done, you know. And he had his book, Be Here Now, you know, and it was like a really fancy copy and everything. And he went up. And he handed it to Neem Karoli Baba. And Neem Karoli Baba took it and went through the pages. And he took it and then he threw it across the floor. You know. And he said, Jow, out, out. <laughs> you know. And it was like one of these moments. I know. It's like, wow, here, here, here. You put all this into this. And ultimately, you know, what does it matter? You know, when it really comes down to it. I mean, here was someone's. Uh, you know, sort of heart and soul into this piece of work that he had done, you know, to uh, kind of bring the, a part of the culture to this point. You know. And yet somebody had to say, you know, it's not the whole story. You know. And in a way, that's what we're doing. You know, it's not the whole story. What's here, you know? And when I was thinking about this at the beginning, I thought, oh, what a profound thing to, first of all, this thing around what is a Buddha? You know? What does that mean? Is that something just, you know, 2,554 years ago or whatever? Or uh, what does that mean to you? You know? And so for me, there's this thing around, you know, uh, the privilege to having had the moments, you know, I never really know what goes on in interviews. I, 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 I barely, I can't remember when one person leaves, another person enters. It's like this gestalt of this, you know, remarkable uh, I mean, I have a terrible time trying to remember and write things down because there's this incredible gestalt going on. That there's this, you know, it's not one person or supposed, it's really this meeting, you know? Uh, and that meeting has to do with the seed for me, you know? And that seed is not something that's different in me or different in you. It's something been there all the time. And so I like when I came to it, I thought, oh, you know, could you just relax? You know, it's, it's already here. You've got it already. But we make it so complicated in the sense that somehow uh, the complexity of kind of how it is and who we think we are. You know. And you're going to walk back into, you know, this, who are you? You know? You're going to need occupation and everything around your neck so that <laughs> they know at the airport, you know, if I'm lost, please send me, you know, <laughs> here. You know? I don't think so. You know? But that constructing that happens, you know, uh, can you hold it differently? You know? With some ease, you know? So if it's really something about, if you can hold it a little different and ease, and uh, someone was speaking to me today and they were talking about, you know, they could see their personality over here and there was another part of them that was l- looking almost down on it, seeing the, uh, the construction and going, oh, you know, no, oh. you know. You can just lighten up, you know. Maybe that's what awakening is, just lightening up a little, you know. But there's this also 
you know, what is it that seed, what does it need? What is it happening in? You know, and that's where this uh, truth of Dharma, you know, uh, this uh, truth, but uh, I think so much about the, the Dharma as being, uh, it is kind of like the earth. It's what holds this. You know, the complexity of these uh, amazing frogs out there singing and the, you know, the turkeys doing their little dance around us almost, all, I mean, now it's just, you know, complete. They, they're everywhere and, uh, you know, <laughs> You know, uh, we've been completely surrounded. <laughs> you know. You know. No. But then there's that whole piece of the, you know, I was thinking about the turkey downstairs that uh, in the glass goes up and, and uh, pecks at the glass, seeing itself in the glass. You know, it's reflection. You know, and somehow, uh, I think we've been doing a little bit of that, pecking at least. You know, and uh, hopefully getting, it's just a reflection. You know, you can relax. It's all right. You know, uh, we have to certainly know that somehow we're being held by this. You know, and, and to me, this word dharma, uh, this word trust, Um, when there's that awareness in this practice of uh, a really presence, of staying present for, you know, uh, whatever kind of craziness it's going to be or is, you know. What's trust? You know, what is it? You know, can you kind of let yourself, you know, uh, begin to realize that you really can't control the speed of things? You know, this is unfolding uh, much faster than uh, we can really get in some ways. So someplace there has to be some kind of surrender or trust to uh, that the earth, in this case, is holding us. And if you can do that on some level, then there is this truth about uh, the Sangha or community or uh, I really thought about it as the seed and the earth and the, the community is really, this is the water. We were actually uh, kind of playing in the waters today in the community, you know, and sometimes forgetting that seed and sometimes forgetting that, you know, uh, this practice is kind of staying in the body. Uh, it's this capacity to uh, not lose yourself in another but actually to own uh, the place and time you are. You know? So there's kind of a, in that kind of trust, a kind of sense of uh, kind of being a king or a queen. Um, uh, kind of resting in the now or the here at some level. You know? No past, no future, just it's enough here. Earth some water the seed will grow there's a wonderful um, little piece I like to read about this is about uh, geese and it's a Chris Brown principle of the Holy Rosary School this fall when you see geese heading south for the winter flying along in a V formation you might be interested in knowing what science has discovered about why they fly that way. It has been learned that as each bird flaps its wings, so you've got to think about meditators in this room now, as they flap their wings, it creates an uplift 
for the bird immediately following by flying in a V formation. The whole flock adds at least 71% greater flying range than if each bird flew on its own. Whenever a goose is out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of trying to go it alone and quickly gets back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front. And then this is Chris Brown. If we had as much sense as a goose, we'll stay in formation with those who are headed in the same way we are going. When the lead goose gets tired, he rotates back in the wing and another goose flies point. It pays to take turns doing the hard jobs with people and with geese flying south. The geese honk from behind to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. (laughs) And Chris Brown again kind of brackets, what do we say when we honk from behind? (laughs) Finally, when a goose gets sick, or is wounded by gunshot and falls out, two geese follow it out of formation and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with the goose until it is either able to fly or until it is dead. Then they launch out on their own or with another formation to catch up with their group. If we had as much sense as goose, we would stand by each other like that. Beautiful, isn't it? You know. So there's this truth about the sangha and the kind of the water that, um, when the uh, kind of the earth is, that seed is there, and um, and I think we've all learned a little bit about this. And I do believe, from all I know that uh, I think we do a little better than the geese when uh, we're here in the sense of 71% as we've come together as a collective, you know, whether it's two months or one month to, um, you know, in a way we kind of water each other's seeds in this kind of Dharma hall. And, um, you know, uh, encourage us to kind of uh, really it's just to stay here you know. I've been holding this poem I thought well, I, I've got I have to read it somewhere because I love it. So there's, there's this piece about the geese. But now I'd like to do a, a poem about a duck. <laughs> you know, And this is actually comes from the New Yorker magazine, October the 4th, 1947, by Donald Babcock. It's a really great piece. The duck. Now we are ready to look at something pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a raucous touch about him. This is some sort of duck, and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold, and he isn't thinking things over. There is a big heaving in the Atlantic, and he is part of it. He looks a bit like a Mandarin or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree. But he is hardly he but <laughs> he has hardly enough above his eyes to be a philosopher. <laughs> he has poise, however which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves. 
because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is. And neither do I. But he realizes it. And what does he do? I ask you. He sits down on it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity, which it is. That is religion. And the duck has it. He has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into just where it touches him. I like this little duck. He doesn't know much, but he has religion. (laughs) Are you up for it? You know, just be a little duck. It's going to be heaves, you know. Yeah. So I think ultimately, you know, this practice of um, of keeping um, awake and really not knowing how it's all going to work out but just staying awake and recognizes somehow you're going to have to meet the world you know and there's kind of a way to meet the world where you kind of build up a brick wall and you know pray for the best behind it and have this very sensitive uh, world or there's a way to actually allow the world to move through you and I say this because I think it's the piece uh, I think we're all still learning. And it has a lot to do with this kind of concept of the, uh, you've seen a moth as it goes towards the light. And how the moth, the closer that moth gets to the light, uh, what's true? You know, the closer it gets, the bigger the shadow. Okay? The bigger the shadow. And so from this practice's point of view, this is actually, we're doing something different here, really different. And it's not that we're not going towards a light, but we actually are changing, transforming ourselves in a way that uh, is simply, you could say, it's transparency. Uh, Those particles that uh, block and prevent Uh, sometimes the way it is uh, to come at us. That somehow you're going to have to, uh, you know, the swells may get big, but, you know, be like the duck. And this practice really they talk about it as a purification and you know there's such high sensitivity right now you know and you're going to have these kind of in the next days kind of these ups and downs and you know it's a um, it's a twip you know it's a twip but you know You know the practice. So we came here, and we actually have uh, shedded some of the some of the some of the darkness in the wings and the body itself, because ultimately, uh, this awakening is this kind of transparency. You know, where not just the light, but all things can somehow. Uh, move through, be known. You know, just move through. And uh, we sit like the duck in the heaves, in the waves. You know. 
and you know, you know, on one side it's infinite, and another side it's finite. You got a rent a body. It's uh, you don't know. No. So every encounter and everything you meet, you have the chance to meet it. You know, not in a sense of blocking, but a sense of letting it go through in some way, kind of that transparency of awakening. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? It's impossible. You're going to find out a lot about it. This is uh, also a poem that I like. It's uh, by David White. The mouth opens and fills with its vibrant shape until the air and the mouth become one shape and the first word, your own word, spoken from that fire. Surprises, burns, grieves you now because you made that pact with the dark presence in your life. He said... If you only stop singing, I'll make you safe. If you'll only stop singing, I'll make you safe. As the comforting sound of the door closed on the fear at last. But his darkness crept under your tongue and became the dim cave where you sheltered and you grew in the small place too frightened to remember the songs of the world, its impossible notes, and the sweet joy that flew out the door of your wild mouth as you spoke. It's a challenge. And Sharda spoke last night, you know, this truth of just, um, you know, being able to say what's true, to have this discernment to know, you know, is it helpful? Is it kind? Uh, is it not negative, you know? Or is it um, what, passive-aggressive, you know? Harsh you know, speech of any kind. Uh, and is it timely? Is this uh, the time to speak? You know, all that kind of wisdom is part of this capacity to, you know, uh, wake up, be present, recognize that you can choose, you know, and that there is this uh, intelligence, this kind of clear comprehension that's there when we're kind of present and uh, when we're present and there's no really past or future, there's really no shadow. You know, and uh, we can kind of rely on the heart uh, to be that, that, you know, the mind has to be steady knowing but then the speech can actually come through the heart. It works. Try it. No. So, Buddha, seed, ease. Dharma, earth, trust. Sangha, Water, heart. Instead of uh, reading endings, I'm going to uh, read from the my first night the poem uh, I wrote called "Clear Path." 
And then there's this other path, old path, caught in the miracle of ordinariness. Bewilderment. The price of the sand slipping through our fingers. The price of the sand slipping through our fingers. Knowing somehow that you have to surrender. Leaving behind the hopes and fears in the grasping. Resting nowhere. Falling on your knees. Knowing somehow that the heart knows its way from here. Resting nowhere. Falling on your knees. Knowing somehow that the heart knows its way from here. Let's sit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.